You're listening to Southeastern Flies, the Angler's Influence, with our guest, Wanda Taylor. Wanda, welcome to Influence. Well, thank you, David. I've been looking forward to it. Great. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk just a second, uh, or a minute here. It's going to take more than a second. And we're going to go through uh, Wanda's sort of resume up to uh, this point and some of the things that she's done throughout her fly fishing career. And then we're going to get down to, to speaking about her influence. But Wanda was the first woman inducted into the Southeastern Appalachian Fly Fishing Museum Hall of Fame. Uh, you were the first woman certified by the IFF as a master certified casting instructor. Uh, you're the first woman Orvis endorsed guide in the Southeast Uni- Eastern United States. You were awarded the Southeastern FFF 2005 Woman of the Year Award. You're the recipient of the 2008 FFF Southeastern Council Council Award of Excellence for your work with breast cancer survivors with Casting for Recovery. Also, uh, Georgia's Casting for Confidence. Uh, Your teaching and and activities for the FFF Certified Casting Instructors Program. Also, you work with Casting Carolinas and... I know there's way more than this, but the last one that we have is uh, you work with the women's veterans of the Project Healing Waters. Mm-hmm, that's correct. So what do you do in your spare time? <laughs> Fish. <laughs> you fish in your spare time. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, so that's, that's quite, a, quite a list of things going on. Tell, I'm going to tell just a little, about, uh, a little bit about uh, Influence here, just for the folks that haven't listened to the podcast. So what we do at Influence is we talk to uh, folks in the, in the fly fishing industry. We don't necessarily talk about the businesses and that sort of thing, although that's a big part of what we all do. What we want to do is get their story uh, about the people that influence their fly fishing, how, how they got to where they were, the people, place, or thing uh, that, that influenced them along the way. And, and that tells a pretty good story uh, about what where they are and how they ended up where they are. Uh, so that's what we hope to do to, to do today. Wanda and I are sitting uh, at a we're, okay, so I'm going to describe this for you. It's a it's basically a, a it's a big building. It's the Tennessee Aquarium Conservation Institute. Uh, it's in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we're on the Tennessee River. We probably I could cast to the Tennessee River and I know Wanda could. And we're sitting in a conference room that's uh, half glass. We're right on the corner, so we can see upriver and we can see downriver. Upriver, it's 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 uh, it's pretty much grown up uh, as most rivers that we all fish are. But downriver, I can see Baylor School, uh, I can see Signal Mountain where I grew up, uh, and I can see Raccoon or Elder Mountain on the left there. So uh, this may this may be one of the better locations that that we've been to. That's uh, uh, here on Influence, uh, I, I go back to Susan Thrasher's place up there, being on the Caney when we interviewed her, and, and and this rivals that just, if nothing else, just because of the, to me, this is pretty plush, especially for fly fishing. Oh, yeah, and you, you forgot about the fog on top of the mountains with the fall leaf color. That is just breathtaking. And it's December, but it's about 65 degrees. So, <laughs> Welcome to the South. <laughs> that's right. So, uh, so Wanda, let's, uh, let's start off, and, and we're just going to, we're going to, you said you wanted to start, uh, basically, this starts in your childhood, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you've got a couple of folks that influenced you, and some of those, those same family members on my side of the family have, have influenced me. So let's, let's mm-hmm. go ahead and talk just a, just a little bit about, uh, about your first influence. Yeah. Well, my first influence were my heroes, which were my grandmothers. And they, um, I, you know, I've always been a triple A personality and I can imagine at three and four, I was a handful. So to keep me from asking why, why, or can I help you, please, can I help you? They found that if I they would take me down to the creek and, and give me a 
pole and a worm in a bucket and say, if you catch something, when you catch something, if you'll drag it back to the farmhouse, we're going to cook it for lunch for Papa. Well, Papa was blind. And I just thought I was doing the coolest thing. So every time I'd hook up, I'd drag this little fish all the way up to the house. They would clean it. And, you know, sooner or later, we'd have a mess of, of small little brim or bass. And my grandfather would always brag and he'd say, I love those small ones you catch bigger, better than the big ones because they're crispier. So, you know, I thought I was doing some big thing. But for a four-year-old, knowing that she was bringing lunch, that was pretty cool on the farm. That is a big deal. Yeah. So you grew up on a farm. Where was town? Um, Town was Dalton, Georgia. Okay. Yeah. But my our I still live on the farm. It's a 120-year-old farm place that belonged to my family. So it's between Chatsworth and Dalton. Okay. It's called the Hare Farm. I, yeah. have, uh, I have spent a lot of time. Uh, in Dalton, mm-hmm. around the Rocky Face area, and then yeah. Ringgold, and of course Chattanooga and mm-hmm. uh, Signal Mountain. So it's a the South is a is a diverse place, mm-hmm. uh, and I, for, we're fortunate to live where we live. We are. It's a great place to to grow up in. And, and as I've learned today uh, at the institute here, there's a whole lot of fishing going on, and a whole lot of fish uh, that I didn't know was here. So oh, no, we're we're really blessed to have such diversity. We are. So what, what, so your first fishing, what, what were you using for bait usually? Worms. My, my grandma, I remember I was just barely tall enough to be even with her kneecaps, my grandma. So she would take a hole in a, in a soup can and, you know, fill it up with dirt and, and worms. And that was my bait for the day. So about 10 minutes of work on her part would keep you entertained and out and of, out her, of hair. her hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I learned from that because, you know, I had younger grandchildren coming up too and so i'm thinking let's go fishing yeah let me take you to the riverbank so i can get some peace and quiet yeah <laughs> so how long uh, how long did that last you think i know you said you were four but did you continue on fishing oh yeah i had 10 boy cousins on the farm uh, so you know that we were each other's playmates and so we would fish and and hunt we had quail and we got 10 cents for every crow that we took down off the crops with our BB guns, you know, that was a lot of money back then. Yeah. But uh, so I got to, they played my game, then I played theirs. So yeah, I continued it into high school. In high school, I had a hard time getting a date because I liked to fish and, you know, they didn't, weren't used to girls fishing. So I had to pretend I didn't fish. <laughs> <laughs> Things have probably changed nowadays uh, yeah. quite a bit from, from when we were, we were coming up for sure. Oh, yeah. So you, your grandmother's kind of kind of got the, as I like to say, they kind of kicked you out there and, and sent you down the road. And, and th- when did you start fly fishing? I didn't start fly fishing until the late 70s. That's the first time I saw a fly angler. And uh, Captain Gary Taylor was that angler. And so he's been my fishing partner for, for over 35 years. And he is the second influence that I would oh. like to segue into. Okay. Um, when it comes to trout fishing and freshwater fishing, uh, I learned everything that I I know now from him. Um, even learned how to, to row a drift boat. And because um, we we had a guide service, and there's a few days that we were short on guides. So before I knew it, I was I was guiding on the river just by happenstance. And I love it, absolutely love it. So um, you never know that what's I call it a habit that's gone bad. It's like well, a, that's a you, you know, it, yeah, it went really bad. I never, in, I never intended for it to be a professional career that's lasted my entire lifetime. Um, but I'm very grateful that it has. So when you first started, what was it that really drew you to to fly fishing? Well, I took a class here in Chattanooga at Choo Choo Fly and Tackle. 
And Les Kirk was the owner at that time. And he had a women's class. And so I took the class and somehow excelled in it. And he asked me to start co-teaching with him. And then I found other women that were having a difficult time being taught by a loved one. (laughs) <laughs> or a significant other. Right. And it's just really hard. Even even my, our own son, we could not teach him because, you know, he thought he had to be perfect in our sight. And as people who are emotionally involved feel like they should as well. So learning from someone else, like I could say it, I could say, you know, this you're doing this and you can do this really a little bit easier. Their spouse or boyfriend couldn't because it would hurt their feelings. Uh, so I just got kind of pulled into it that way. When my... I, my wife doesn't fish. My daughter does. My wife doesn't. And I've always said when she's ready to fish, and I hope she does get ready one day, I think for now she's just like, oh, there's a good opportunity to get rid of him for a little bit and get him out of my hair. But whenever she does, uh, if she does, I'm probably going to take her to, to – I'm definitely going to take her to somebody else. <laughs> Smart uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wouldn't – it's only because I want, I want you know, mm-hmm. anybody that's close to me, I want her to be very, very good – Mm-hmm. and have a chance to catch a fish because i love to see people catch fish that's my plan anyway we'll see what happens <laughs> i think it's a smart plan yeah yeah hopefully that'll be the thing i did and i taught my daughter uh-huh. uh and she was she was a good student she was a better student than i was a teacher mm-hmm. uh and then last year we went out and she finally now now i'm having trouble getting on her calendar oh you know? yeah well that's that's the time you know yeah her age but we went out last year and, and I, I tried to coach her a little bit mm-hmm. and she just finally turned around at me and said, I, I can do this. <laughs> Got this. Dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she could. And she did. She did a really she's really good for no more than she gets to gets to fish. But mm-hmm. as, as you as you work with Gary, tell mm-hmm. me some of the things that maybe you learned that have influenced you that, that he showed you. Well, mainly uh, the presentation of the fly, how important that was in line management. You know, a lot of times people can get it out there, but they don't really know they're trying to emulate, a, you know, a, an insect. And they would let the the line being dragged by the water pressure. And then it doesn't look natural. And so the fish are either turned off or they know it's, you know, it's not really a, a natural insect. Line management, I think, is one of the most important things that people learn. But as an intermediate fisher person, it's, it's hard for beginners to understand that. And it just needs more time on the water, basically, with someone who knows what they're doing and, and actually just watching someone else fish that's really, really better than you are. I try to fish with people that I know are better than me. And I always learn something very, very important from them. And it's like, gee, I've never thought about trying like that, you know. And um, so I take home just another nugget of information to make me a better angler. So when you go to fish somewhere else, do you hire guides? Yes, I do. The first day, I don't tell them who I am because I don't want them to be pressured under, you know, any pressure at all. But I always say, you know, this is your river and I've never been on it. And I want you to teach me how to fish it. And you can't, I have no feelings on my shoulder. You know, you can't say anything to me that's going to hurt my feelings. And um, I said, I just want to learn something and become a better angler. And by the end of the day, I've learned great things. and, And then they figure out, who I am and it's like um this was really fun fishing you know I had a good time and I thought you were going to be really bossy (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to be bossy when you don't know the river and I've done that I've hired guides and and tried tried to be bossy and then you know well I think that's the number one mistake and I hear it from a lot of professional guides it's like you've hired me for the day and then you want to tell me 
how you're going to fish my body of water. Right, that, that they're on every day. And they're not catching any fish. Right. And they're blaming you, right. but they're not listening. If they would listen and pay attention, it would be a win-win situation. I was in Colorado this year and, mm-hmm. and hired a guide. And for the first 10 minutes, I had a fly that I wanted to fish. And he let me fish it. Mm-hmm. And then after I didn't catch anything, I was like, all right, I'm done. That's now, what are we going to do? Yeah, yeah. Let's fish your way now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, since you fish here 365 days a year. Right. You think. Yeah, yeah. But we, we ended up back on that fly that I had, but he showed me some things that I needed to do with it differently. Sure. And we caught fish. So, yeah. again, it was presentation. And, and that's yeah. kind of a theme that we hear from everybody that, that I interview is mm-hmm. it's presentation a lot of times. Casting is really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But the rubber meets the road whenever that fly hits the water. Yeah. Yeah. And I see even people who are not really good casters know how to fish the fly and they catch a lot of fish. Absolutely. Their presentation wasn't really pretty, but by the time they, you know, got their fly line under control and they they knew it was a fish there and they were able to see it because they had on polarization on their sunglasses, um, they're always successful. Yeah. People that fish, even if they don't fly fish, if they start fly fishing, uh, they, they tend to catch on pretty quick on the mm-hmm. fishing part of it. Once they get a little bit of a cast going, it can get it out yeah. away from them and they, they get in, you can see somebody come into a fishing mode. Right. You know, all of a sudden you can tell all right they're fishing and it's fixed to be good right yeah and that's one of the things with my students that i have i said i already know that you're a good angler i'm just going to show you how to get the fly in the zone and once you do that you just add all that that fishing skill that you have with conventional tackle to the fly world yeah Yeah. and it transfers oh easily yeah yeah it really does same same so as as you and gary went throughout your your career you said you had a guide service and where was that it's on the hiawassee river okay and Mm -hmm. is that the tennessee side Yes. Because there's a couple of, there's a Georgia side, Yeah, it's near Benton, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. All right. And full disclosure, I've fished there a lot. It's Uh, a wonderful river. It really is. And did you row row a boat there? Yes. Okay. I still do. I mean, that's my home river. Yeah. I teach, I do instructional guiding on the Hiawassee River. Okay. And what that means is I I don't, I'm not for hire to catch fish for you or with you. I'm there to make you an independent angler. So I have a lot of beginners like father, son, or mother, daughter. They want to spend the day with me in the boat, and we read the water. You know, why would you want to fish here? Why would you choose not to fish there? You tie your own fly. You, If you do catch a fish, you you retrieve that fish and, and release the fish yourself. And then we talk about, you know, fly selections. And so the goal for most of those is at the end of the day that they can go fish that body of water or any body of water independently. And they're in the boat, so you're rowing the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really nice for small children and or people, well, my size. I'm not a very tall person, and I, and I wade like a buffalo. I mean, fish now, I'm in the river, but I can row across that river, and, you know, if I see fish rising and just anchor out, and we're on top of them. So sometimes, you know, the, the Hiawassee's wide. I mean, yeah. It's a mile wide in some places, and it's just really difficult knowing whether they're going to have one generator or two generators to, to get to where the fish are that day. I've been on the Hiawassee, and mm-hmm. I waited it quite a bit, but I, I took my boat down there two days. Uh, and by the time I finished crashing down through there, through the stair steps, and, mm-hmm. and then into all the other, yeah. I don't it, it was terrible. Yeah. I was I was not ready for the first day. The water was up. I just did from the top mm-hmm. up there down to the Swinging Towie. Bridge, down mm-hmm. to Towie. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I got this. It's not a big deal. Second day, we started at the top again. Mm-hmm. And when I got, before I got to the stair steps, I was like, this, I'm now I'm having to pay attention. So you is, and that's where you learned to, to row a boat. Then. Yes. Okay. So so you and Gary had a guide service. Uh, mm-hmm. one day he's 
you needed another guide and there you were and you yeah were well well not that's not how it really started how it started was we had six guides on staff and maybe one of them their wife would call me at the office and say i'm going into labor i need john and and you know there was no cell service and there still is not any cell service reception in the canyon there right and uh, so sh- the radios we might pick up a you know within a mile but if they were apart there's no way so i'd have to get in a boat and roll down and find John and say, sorry, John, fishing day's over. You're about to be a father, you know. And so after I had rowed into the river, I thought, well, I'll just fish my way out. Right. You know, and, and I, I'd love it. I mean, I just got, I, fe- I fell in love with that river and with trout fishing and with rowing a boat. It's an easy place to like. It is. It it's, really is. It's beautiful. Well, let's, let's, uh, Let's go ahead and talk about the Tennessee Aquari- Conservation Institute. The Tennessee Aquarium Conservation Institute, that's where we are today. The rivers of the southeastern United States harbor some of the highest freshwater diversity on the planet. The Institute works to, do, to restore and protect southeastern aquatic e- ecosystems and the animals that live here. The Institute conducts research to identify which southeastern waters have the greatest biodiversity. As part of the Tennessee Aquarium, the Institute educates the general public on freshwater issues, helps to train the next generation of freshwater scientists, and advocates for freshwater conservation in the community and beyond. The Institute partners with a lot of folks. Here's a handful of them. Uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, TVA, U.S. For- Forestry Service, TWRA, Trout Unlimited. And we're going to talk about Trout Unlimited just for here in just a second. Tennessee Tech University that does a lot of work uh, over in our neck of the woods. Uh, in Middle Tennessee, Southeastern Missouri State, and the University of Georgia, as well as the Swanee, the University of the South. And they work on multiple things. So the Appalachian chapter of TU uh, just this past week presented a check for over $11,000 in support of the Institute's brook trout studies and reintroduction. And the brook trout, we just just had a, um, a tour of the of the facility here and they have a lot of brook trout work going on and, and they are so healthy they are I mean, beautiful appreciate i appreciate them letting us in and and giving us a chance to sit here where we are and do this do this podcast and you'll hear more about the institute uh in the next next several episodes wanda we we talked about uh, your grandmother's your your partnership with gary and and then so you now you've got now you've got a really good base mm. uh you fish several different ways and you ended up fly fishing uh you know how to row a boat you're helping people catch fish and and then who who comes next into your life well lefty cray hands down um i had the the fortunate uh opportunity at Choo Choo Flying Tackle again uh, to meet Lefty. I didn't know it was any big deal. I just knew that there was a guy going to come and do a casting demo. And I'd had the women's fly casting you know, class, so I knew I was pretty good. I was going to give him like an hour of my time to watch him. And then I'd probably get to go out to dinner afterwards. So, you know, that's what we ladies like to, like to do. I'll go do anything if you're going to take me out to dinner. <laughs> so I was all dressed up. I had on my high heels and my candies and, you know, ready to go out to eat and, and and tolerate this guy um there's probably 70 people showed up to see him cast on the sidewalk there and i don't know who pushed me but someone pushed me and then here i was standing you know nose to nose with lefty cray and uh he says uh what's your name and i told him my name and he said well wanda I, i'm going to cast with you now don't don't you try to cast the rod i want to show you you know something how to make it cast farther and in my head it's like 
he doesn't know I've had this class and I'm really good, you know. So he tar- started the cast. We did the back cast. And on the forward cast, I assisted him. <laughs> and he stopped and dropped the rod and said, what do you not understand about not helping me do the cast and then he does that same routine of i can teach any woman to fly cast as long as i'm not married to her (laughs) and of course it brings a big you know round of applause and everybody's laughing so i was embarrassed and humbled and the next time i did not assist him and the fly line went 75 feet i'd never seen that part of the fly line before Mm -hmm. so even though he insulted me and you know, hurt my feelings. I was mesmerized by him. And um, after that, I didn't see him for, you know, I saw him at shows for maybe the next 10 years because we were there, you know, professional level. But um, I'd had a horrible um, encounter with a company that I'd been working with where sometimes people's ethics are a little bit differently than what I thought they should be. And the almighty dollar became more important than people. And so we parted waves. And um, I was back on my in my home on the Hiawassee River, and I wrote Lefty a letter. I, I, didn't ha- I don't know that he had email or a fax machine or anything. I think this was way before we, we had so much email. But I had his mailing address, and um, I wrote him a letter, and, and I asked him a, a question, like, how do you stay you know, involved in an industry all these years and without being, you know, depressed or to get down because there's so many things that can, can, uh, you know, get to you, the pressures of it. And just, I mailed it out and a week later, my phone rings and I pick up the phone and, uh, he said, Wanda. And I said, yeah, this is Wanda. He said, well, this is Lefty Cray. And I said, who is this? I told you it's Lefty Cray. You're still not listening to me, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hot lefty. Whoa. And I I wanted to take the phone and go, this can't be Lefty Cray, you know. But it was. And he said, "Um, can you afford a a ticket to come up to Baltimore and see me? And in my head, I knew I just lost my job with this company, you know. And I said, "Uh, sure. (laughs) I have no money, but I'll somehow find a way. He says, I want you to come up and uh, stay with Ev and I. That was his wife. And I've got some things I want to tell you. So I flew up there for two days. He talked to me about how to be an outdoor writer and how to be a photographer and how to sell those stories. And then he started telling me about all the good guys in the industry and those that weren't so good and the ones that I couldn't or shouldn't trust, and that I should never put all my eggs in one basket. You know, always diversify yourself and have, you know, have things for your off season and your on seasons. And um, so by the end of those two days, um, I felt like a new person. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe him. We knew each other, but not like he took me in like I was his child and told me things in about the industry and introduced me to people in the industry that were ethical and had uh, people became first before the almighty dollar. And it changed my life. Um, He introduced me to TFO. Uh And so that's been a wonderful relationship for the past 18 years. And they are a family. And also they they listen to their national advisory staff. And when we have an idea, they implement it immediately. It's not, it doesn't take a two-year study. Right. Uh, They implement it. And then we all try it. And if if we think it's going to be profitable and something that's improving the fly fishing industry, they manufacture it. And uh, so it just makes going to work every day just so much fun because you know that people are smart and that they believe in each other. So you were friends with Lefty for a long time. Did you fish with him much? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he would say, why don't you come up and let's do the Susquehanna with Bobby? He called him Bob Clouser. He calls uh-huh. him Bobby. And I said, sure. You know, so I got to fish with he and, and Clouser on the Susquehanna for, uh, I'm not sure what we were fishing for, bass probably is what mainly what we caught with some of 
Bob's Flies. But, uh, and then we came back for Carp later with Flip Pallet. And he just introduced me to so many great anglers that I would never have the opportunity to fish with uh, before. So so what do you think? As so you're fishing with Lefty, what, do you, what did you learn there? from him when how, you were on the boat with yeah, him or, how or, or humble waiting. he is i mean i would i would congratulate him on a cast and he'd say well thank you very much instead of uh well what do you expect it's me you know yeah. lefty yeah and then he'd show me how to skitter a fly or you know or how to work a streamer a, a new particular way um and of course i was just taking it in like a sponge so again uh, even he was talking about presentation oh yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, somebody that could cast from from you know the whole fly line plus mm-hmm. without a rod. Yeah, without a rod. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and and he's focused on presentation and trying to trying to help you yes. present the fly maybe differently, maybe better, so that you could catch a fish. Yes. Again, we go back to presentation, which mm-hmm. which and that's kind of a for for those of you that are listening. I don't tell anybody what to say. We I, I know who the influences are mm-hmm. before this before the podcast starts mm-hmm. but we don't go into anything Wanda just sat down here and we just started talking <laughs> honesty's uh, honesty <laughs> yeah and and each one each one of these these podcasts have come back to presentation so if you're mm-hmm. if you're trying to learn to cast 90 feet mm-hmm. that's great and that looks great uh and it's it's one it's a wonderful thing to watch somebody really cast a rod yes but if you're wanting to catch fish presentation is where it's at mm-hmm. Yes, and, and more people are understanding that and give, having classes in schools on, on presentation, not just the cast itself, but you know how to put the, the rubber on the road. Right. And uh, so you'll be successful. Mac Brown has a great one in Bryson City, and um, he's really a, one of, the, I think, new innovators of understand, making that more clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that a lot of, a lot of that used to, we used to say, well, that's time on the water. Mm-hmm. Well, I can spend a lot of time on the water and not know what I'm doing. Whenever I get off the water, I still don't know what I'm doing. Exactly. And I'm not much of a reader and, and go and apply it. I'm, the, mm-hmm. I'm one of those that, okay, if I can see you do it, I can probably do it over time. Right. And that's why I, you know, I encourage people to fish with people that are better than you are. In fact, I, I just did a, it was a championship for Casting for Carolina. It was a fundraiser. And they each of the teams that were on it had named themselves something. Uh-huh. And one one guy's team was he's better than I am. <laughs> I love that. And he and, and he the guy that he was fishing with, Michael Bradley. He is probably like the number one guy on the fly fishing Olympic team. And uh, he is better than most everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Those folks put their time in, don't they? They do. They do a wonderful job and uh, such ambassadors. I mean, we had su- cancer survivors that actually fished, and they just gave their day to, to guide them because they had their own teams, uh, which was really, really cool to see someone that was terminal, uh, you know, come in first or second in the tournament. And uh, the guys had no idea until afterwards. And they, they were, like, so humbled. Like, oh. they had the opportunity to spin on the water. Um, and, she, and one of them said, she never reflected or acted that she was sick. I said, that because that's called courage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do some uh, work with the Music City Fly Girls and mm-hmm. Casting for Recovery there. Oh, yeah. And always, every time, every time, hands down, mm-hmm. I get way more out of it than the than the person I'm Absolutely. guiding or the folks that I'm working with. Absolutely. It's just, uh, and it, it is humbling. Mm-hmm. It, it is. is. So you've, you've now, now you've uh, worked with arguably one of the best in the industry and, and learned some. So you learned some fly fishing from him uh, and learned some about the industry. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you had a, not the greatest view of the industry whenever you broke apart from, from the first company that, but he, 
gave you some knowledge and some information and brought you back to it. And that continued you on. You very easily you could have dropped it right there and said, I want to go be uh, insert anything in there. You yeah, I was to. ready to walk away. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't fun. And if it's not fun, you shouldn't do it. No. But he, he's, he, till the last breath in his body, he's mentoring people, young men and women in the industry. And so because of that, I've learned to pay it forward. And I see that that's one of the things in, in my goals in the future is working with young women and young men in the industry, uh, especially, you know, our, our military that's coming back and has PTSD and stuff. Working with those women, women marines and stuff it's just um it's it's challenging but it's also some of the most rewarding things that i could do once i see them catch a fish and get hooked on fishing instead of some of the medication they've had to be on and a lot of them had been able to come off of a lot of it just because they learned to live again right yeah yeah and i've seen that as well whenever we do the project healing waters yes it's uh, a wonderful organization it is and, and there may be another day where i tell a story about about one, a couple of the different stories about a couple of different folks that mm-hmm. I've had the pleasure, and I didn't realize it was going to be a pleasure until the day was almost over with both of them of yeah. how much how much fun it was and how transformational it was for them. So, mm-hmm. but and that's for another episode. That's yes. not for today. Lefty, help you out, and then uh, let's talk about your next step there, your next influence. Who's who's next on your list there? <laughs> well, um, someone that I. I met maybe 25, 30 years ago. His name's Captain Jake Jordan. We were at a fly show in Chicago. And at that time, I was working for Braze Island Plantation out of uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, as their their resident casting instructor. And we had booths next to each other in Chicago. And uh, he was there selling tarpon trips down in the Florida Keys. And I've always wanted to catch a tarpon. I've, you know, at to that point, the only thing I'd caught was maybe you know a, re- a redfish. And um, he's talking about 150 pound, 200 pound tarpon, and wants me to come, you know, come down and catch them. And so we just started a relationship in salt water, you know, at that time. And uh, a few years after that, he invited me to come down to Exuma to do a bonefish school with him and Steve Rajeff. And Steve Rajeff was the world champion caster right. you know, of the universe at that time now he's being um, beaten by a 15 year old girl <laughs> maxine <Right. laughs> she's incredible but uh so i said sure i've always wanted to you know do bone fishing and he said i want you to go through our school and uh, you know assist you know taking people out on the flats and i said all right so i did and the I learned so much about flats fishing for bonefish. What, I mean, one of the just simple things was how to see them. And you think right. you'd see them, but because of the wind and, and their, their, their ghost of the sea, you can't. He, he made this statement about it's like looking through a plate glass window when you're shopping to see the merchandise behind it. And that's the way you have to look for bonefish. And he said, you'll probably not see the fish. You'll see the shadow of the fish. And so look for the shadows. Right. Yeah. And, and fishing for singles, it really did help me a lot. But when you've got herds of a thousand, it looks like a football field of footballs. Right. You know, they're just, it's just like dark places all over the place. But just simple things like that. And, um, you know, and how to actually fish you know, a crab pattern or a shrimp pattern. All that was new to me because I'd done, you know, dry flies and trout and fresh right. water. Yeah. So we just had this wonderful relationship. And um, he, taught me a lot about um, albacore fishing and how to catch Dorado. And three years ago, um, I went to Guatemala, and we caught sailfish on a fly. I caught 15 sailfish in one day. Good grief. Yeah. 15? 15, yes. Listening to my mentor. Yeah, right. That's that's the key. So 
last year before last, he, he says, uh, he called me up and he said, how would you like to break a women's world record? I said, well, I'm not much on world records. And he said, well, I'm not either, but I was looking at it. And he said, the biggest blue marlin to date that any woman's caught on the fly was 90 pounds. And I think we can beat that in Costa Rica. And I said, well, well, do you have to kill the fish? Because I'm not, I don't want to kill something that's a game fish. He said, in Costa Rica, it's against the law. And, you know, you'd lose your, your boat, your captain, you'd be deported. And uh, I said, all right, I'm in. So how are you going to break it? He said, well, it'll be a potential breaking record. We won't really kill the fish to make it official, but we'll have it on GoPro. And, you know, I have an outdoor writer that's going to come and write and f- do the photography. And I said, I'm in. So we're on a 54-foot Maverick and uh, went 140 miles offshore in Costa Rica and uh, traveled all night. And the next morning, it's sun. I mean, the sun was just barely coming up about five o'clock and everybody hit the deck and they said, all right, you know, the sun's up, we're fishing. So I just started coffee and the captain, <laughs> the captain starts yelling, azure, azure, you know, for blue, blue. And uh, so I go out and grab the rod. We're, we're casting half a chicken. Right. I mean, it's a hot pink chicken. It's a Cam Siegler fly. And um, they had the t- brought the teasers in first cast. Um, with a blue marlin, you don't fight the fish. You don't set the hook like you do with sailfish. It's like trying to stop a freight train. Mm-hmm. So you let them take the fly, and as they turn, they'll set the hook themselves, and then just let them run. If you ever try to do the down and dirty, stew out way of fighting a fish, right. you'll lose every time. So he had to keep telling me, just you know, let it go, just relax, let it, let it run, let it run. Fifty minutes of running, and I'm seeing this reel goes. You know, and I was I'm losing fly line, and then there's you know the backing coming out, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh! And it finally it stopped, and when it stops, you start you start reeling like you've never reeled before, and you they change the reel instead of left hand reel like we learn in freshwater to your dominant hand, which mine was the right, and uh, so the captain starts you know looking for it, and uh, it's they still it's still jumping, it's still jumping, so you don't fight, you just let it go, and the fly line itself is is a sinking fly line and so the drag of that is starting to sink down below the surface slowing the fish down and then we can crank these mako reels which will stop a freight train i mean that's the cool part now is things that we couldn't do 10 years ago we can do now because we have hooks that won't straighten out we have rods you can't break we have leader material that won't break we have reels like mako reels that will stop a freight train and captains with wonderful skills and so the captain said i see the i see the blue marlin laying on top he's resting he said we're going to back down so they start backing down you start reeling like you've never reeled before and the mates go into action like i get the fish within the you know wiring distance they wire the fish, release the fly, take the photograph with a selfie stick, you right. know, and then the game was over. It was the most amazing morning ever. The first one I caught was 125 pounds. The yeah. little marlin. I know. <laughs> it, well, plus Jake's, I told him he'd make a great birthing coach because he'd say, breathe, breathe. Oh, yeah. Real, 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 real. <laughs> breathe, <laughs> breathe. <laughs> it was wonderful. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the next morning, same scenario. And uh, it was a two two hundred and twenty five pound. Oh wow! Yes. So early morning was better. Well, the bite was good all day. It was just that's when you know they would just yelled someone get a rod out, and I would I'm I'm pretty fast at running. <laughs> you know, st- stand back if you if I got an opportunity, I'm going to be there. And the the last day we were out, I 
the, I hooked one that was 300 pounds and it, it just kept jumping and jumping and jumping. And, and then it's, it went under. And then two miles away, I see this blue marlin leaping. And I said, wow, whose fish is that? And for that split moment, I held on to the reel. And Jake said, that's your fish. And then it went zing pow. Mm. For, I just, I don't know what, I just came over me. I couldn't believe it. I thought he was lying to me, but it was my fish. <laughs> And then it showed me who was boss. Like, honey, you don't ever try to stop a freight train. Right. <laughs> so what would you say you learned maybe above all else on that particular trip? That I'm addicted to blue water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Once you get something, once you get a taste of something like that, whatever yeah. it is, it may yeah. not be blue water for everybody. Yeah. But what, once you get a taste of something like that, you cannot wait to get back. That's true. Um, That's true. I think I've done, I've done that with several, several different species of fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I haven't caught that tarpon yet. Uh, I've had one on, but yeah. I didn't get a jump out of it. But This year was my, I, I had the most fun at going to a place I never thought I'd catch tarpon. Um, I, went, I went to St. Thomas with my mom just mainly on a small vacation to do some snorkeling, that kind of thing. And I had some guys in Atlanta gave me the name of a guy from um, St. John. And he said, uh, you know, get in touch with him. He's He's got a good tarpon fishery. And I said, you're serious? And he said, yeah. So I contacted him and I booked a, a day or two with him. And we had a four-hour charter in the at sunset, that kind of charter. And um, I hooked eight tarpon and I got four to the boat average was 70 to 100 pounds wow and that's just not one of those places they're marketing like the florida keys yeah and the fish aren't beat up because there's not a lot of people that fly fish there and they also have bonefish i mean i was just so surprised this beautiful beautiful island um has such so many game fish there my vacations may go a little further south hopefully in the not so distant future (laughs) yeah yeah you need to branch out there man yeah all of a sudden i have a reason to go down there before i was just like yeah i can go lay on any beach but that's yeah. that's a little that's intriguing oh yeah and I, and I got to see my first um brain coral there while i was there i'm not much of a swimmer but i can float pretty good let's <laughs> 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 see something that's a brain that's bigger than you yeah is, is, is oh took my breath that's a big deal yeah well so we've talked about uh wow we've went went down the down through your life pretty good here i'm sure that probably <laughs> Probably brought back more brings back more memories than what you you were able to to talk about here. We don't we don't have to talk about every single thing. We've talked about some really nice things, uh, and and most of us, as I've said before, most of us start with a family member. Uh, they're the ones that kind of kick mm-hmm. us kick us down the road and and, and jumpstart us, if you will. Uh, and then as life goes on, you just start meeting people that will stop and take a little bit of time for whatever reason mm-hmm. uh, to kind of help you along. And as as more time goes on, you meet more people. But there's that one or two or three or four that really influence your fly fishing, and then eventually they they influence your life. I mean, you, you know. yeah, and that's that's the key right there. I mean, they change your life, yeah, for the better. They do, and and this brings you together. Yes. You know, it's a it's a common reason to get to know somebody, and then it, it just take it from there. And I've got a lot of friends that mm-hmm. that I've met doing this. That some are acquaintances that I see once every several several years, but mm-hmm. some and some I see once a year, and right. some I see every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I rely on those people. So uh, and all of them have influenced my fly fishing as well as well as my life. Mm-hmm. So if there's one thing, uh, one thing that you would tell maybe a new angler that was just getting started maybe they're listening to this to this episode uh and they've made it this far 
And if you made it this far, we really appreciate it. I know I do, because uh, Wanda's had an interesting story, and I'm just kind of here to uh, to work all this, the electronics, which I hope I'm doing a good job there. We'll see. But if there's one thing that you would tell that angler that maybe he's just listening to this, maybe they've just started, maybe they've been doing it for five or ten years, I don't know. What, what would that one thing be? Well, I'd have to know what their goal is. You know, that's all of my students. That's exactly my first question to you. Like, what is it? What's your goal? I mean, do you want to catch just a trout or are you bash your species or, or you just want to be able to go by yourself alone into the wilderness and have a great day? You know, um, so once I find what that answer to that question is, I give them the best direction I can for someone who's going to nurture that. Hopefully, sometimes it's myself, but sometimes it may be it's not. And, um, you know, I'll send them there as well. But I think you need someone else to hold your hand and put you in the right direction, whether it's, you know, for casting or catching more fish or you want to catch that big monster, the big one. Um, And without that, you're just going to kind of stumble around and it's going to waste your time. And then you'll get discouraged and then you'll want to quit. (laughs) Yep. I've seen that. I've seen folks get discouraged Yeah. uh, for for various reasons and they want to quit. But I've also seen those ones like like you Mm -hmm. uh, that have found somebody that wants to help them out and, and, and that's really it's really easy in the southeast. It is. You know, I have people ask me, how how's it like fishing with all these men? Do you ever have any problems? I said I've had nothing, but gentlemen assistants. I mean, they if they see you're in trouble, they want to help you. Or if they've got some flies that they think might work better, they'll give them to you. Or you know, you know, maybe you want to fish, you know, a little bit below. Um, just encourage someone to catch more fish. And uh, southerners are southerners. Yeah. We always will be. Hopefully we always will be like that. Well, Wanda, uh, like I've said uh, several times, uh, this is a a great location here, and I appreciate you coming out meeting Mm -hmm. me here Mm -hmm. on a a somewhat gloomy day. It still is better than than, uh, most folks are seeing today. But thanks for coming out. Thanks for spending the time. Uh, And uh, I hope that uh, hopefully one day we'll get to fish together. And uh, I hope that everybody has a a good afternoon and and, uh, see you on the next episode. Thanks. Hey everybody, this is David at Southeastern Fly. Thanks for listening to the Angler's Influence Podcast. If you enjoy the program, we'd appreciate our four or five star rating. And don't forget, you can subscribe for free and that'll let you know whenever a new episode is released. Anyway, thanks a lot.